it is that time of year uh, where a lot of us say it's uh, the most wonderful time of year. It's our favorite time of year. It's officially the Christmas season. You know, like I said last week, I, it's hard for me to celebrate and listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. So I kind of tune it out, you know. And then, but now, all right, we're in, we're in full mode, full gear, all right. We even sang a Christmas carol this morning, praise God. And so I do. I, I, I love this time of year. I really do. I remember uh, growing up, I would always, <clears throat> you know, at a very early age, we found out that there wasn't a Santa Claus. And it wasn't so much because my mom told me, but we would just stay up, you know, and he never showed up. And uh, so finally, the hour that we fell asleep, me, but my brothers and I, my mom would sneak the gifts under there. And we thought that was too quick for Santa Claus, you know, to come. So we kind of figured that out. But I remember growing up <clears throat> and how exciting that was uh, as a child. And I would always uh, not, I never slept in my bed growing up on Christmas Eve. I always turned on music and listened to, you know, Christmas carols and, you know, the little drummer boy and all of these uh, Christmas songs that they would play on the radio. And I just slept out there. It was an exciting time. You know, it was a very exciting time, uh, you know, presents and all of these things. Christmas holiday music fills the air. Uh, Christmas means so many different things to so many different people, not just here in America, but all around the world. You know, to some it means uh, bargain hunting for gifts. You know, this is a good time. You know, we have Black Friday and uh, something Monday, bargain Monday or whatever what was it? Cyber Monday and, you know, all of these types of things. And uh, it's, it's a good time to get good deals on things. And uh, so it's, but for others of us, it's a time to reconnect with family, ones we haven't seen for uh, months, some years. Maybe we haven't gotten together in some Christmases, right? And uh, it's a good time to reconnect with family and, and all of those types of things. It means so much, you know, for those who celebrate the Christmas season. Most it's about uh, family, you know, thoughts of family, getting together, uh, maybe a little, you know, pie, uh, that type of thing, Christmas cookies, gingerbread house, all of that, you know, a generic uh, sense of goodwill toward all. But for us as Christians, those of us that serve the Lord, how much more does Christmas mean to us? Is it simply giving gifts and reconnecting with family? Well, certainly it is for us as well. I mean, that's, it's a good opportunity, uh, amen, to do that. But does it stop there is our question that uh, we have before us today. Is it just about gifts? Let's put this, what we're talking about, the Christmas season here, in uh, the context, the larger context of the Bible, going back to the beginning. And let's think about this thing from the beginning. Uh, back when Adam and Eve were in the garden. And we know the story. We know what happened. They were disobedient, weren't they? And, uh, and so they were separated from God. Uh, they were driven out of the Garden of Eden, a garden that was given to them uh, that was so luxurious. And uh, they were driven out of there because of disobedience and because of sin. In fact, uh, sin separated man from God so much so until God put a cherubim with a flaming sword to guard Eden so that man could not sneak back in. <laughs> and so uh, we were separated from God. 
And then what you find is the holiness of God is so much until the only way for man to reconnect with God was that there had to be sacrifice, had to be atonement. And so God made a way that man could temporarily atone for sins by sacrificing animals, by shedding of blood of animals. And the priests would come, lay those animals on the altar and uh, burn them and those types of things. And that would provide a temporary atonement for us to reconnect with God. But how many know it wasn't enough? I mean, how many animals are we going to kill? How long can we go on doing this in order to reconnect with God? Well, God made a decision long before we ever sinned. I like to say that's one of the ones that will bake your noodle. Because before you ever sinned, before Adam ever sinned, before Eve thought about sinning, God already made a way for us to reconnect with him. Isn't that something? He knew it was going to happen, made a provision for us to be saved before we ever sinned. Oh, praise God. Oh, if that's not enough to make you love the Lord, I don't know what is. I I simply don't. But he already made a way. And so when we look at the reason for Christmas, uh, then we say, well, okay, God, couldn't you have done it a different way? Why did you have to wrap yourself in flesh like ours now i don't want to be gross this morning you know the little kids have gone downstairs but think about your flesh you know i mean think about all of the sickness and disease the you know if you if you go to the gym and don't shower you know come on think about some of the nastiness and grossness (laughs) and then think about a perfect and holy god who didn't smell i'm sure And wrapped himself in flesh like yours and mine. The creator submitting himself to his own creation in order to save them. Not him. He didn't do it for any benefit of of his other than to bring his family back to him. And so you say, Lord, why would you do that? There must have been another way. Why would you come to earth, go through all of that, and then die on a bloody cross in such a way? Why would you have to do that? Well, he had already made uh, the rules, the law that said that blood had to be shed. Something had to be sacrificed. And what better or more perfect to sacrifice than himself? He could find no one greater. He could find no more pure blood in all of the earth, in fact, in all of the universe, than his own. Therefore, he made the decision to sacrifice his own blood for you and for me. This is why Jesus came to earth. This is why he came. The old Hebrew methods of dealing with sin were simply not enough. And so when we think about Christmas, saints, Christmas is not just about family and presents, though we enjoy those types of things. It's not even just about a sweet little baby born in a barn. It's not just about that, folks. Surrounded by shepherds and angels and beautiful music. It's not what Christmas is about. It plays the much more profound role of pointing, think about it now, toward 
what we call Good Friday. I call Good Wednesday night. But we could talk about that in March and April. Uh, it points toward the cross when he was born in a manger. Little tiny baby, tiny hands and feet, born for nail and hammer. Are you getting the picture this morning? Sweet little baby, born to be spat upon, born to have a, a crown of thorns placed on his head, born to shed his own blood. I think that Mark 10.45 describes it best when he said, The Son of Man did not come to serve, the Son of Man did not come to be served, rather to serve and to give himself a ransom for all. So when I hear the phrase, saints, it's a wonderful life, I truly believe that it's a wonderful life. <laughs> it's more than just running down the street saying, Merry Christmas, everyone. It's a byproduct of it. But Jesus truly brings a wonderful life. I want you to do something this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture with me, if you would. Turn to John 10.10, and then what I want you to do there is just leave a marker, because we're going to come back to that. So if you have it, turn to John 10.10, put a little marker in John 10, okay? Put a little marker there. Then what I want you to do, once you have your mark in John chapter 10, I want you to go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Now, while you're getting there, let me say, this is for those of you who have old-fashioned paper Bibles. I mean, I know some of us have our electronics, so you can just flip back and forth. So don't put a mark there on John 10. Just go to that when we get there. You know, it's just a little hint how to keep your electronics in good shape. All right. We're going to start in Isaiah 9. Now, I'm going to read from the Good News Translation, okay? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this. It says, A child is born. Unto us a child is given, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Good News Translation says, A child is born to us. A son is given to us. God so loved the world that he gave. And he will be our ruler. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Everlasting Father. And he is a Prince of Peace. So he came to be wonderful. Now, look over at John 10. This is a very familiar one. John 10, verse 10 says this. It says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. All of those things. I, Jesus said, have come. This is the reason for Christmas. I have come that they may have what? Life. And that they may have it more abundantly. It's a wonderful life. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. 
everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, and I have come that they may have life. Now, over the next three weeks, I want to talk about this, It's a Wonderful Life. Broke it up into three sections. It's a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor to us. It's a wonderful life, and he's a wonderful counselor. Amen. It's a wonderful life, wonderful peace. We're going to talk about that next week. How many know we need peace? Oh, we need peace in the world. We need peace in our country, and a lot of us need peace right here in our personal lives. Come on, somebody. We need peace. And then lastly, we're just going to touch on it's a wonderful life. He's a wonderful Savior. That's why he came. He's a wonderful Savior. But today, he's a wonderful counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. And this is one of the things to me, I, I, I was led, I believe, by the Lord to throw this in uh, as, I, as we split this It's a Wonderful Life up into these three sections. To throw in this, it's a, he's a wonderful counselor simply because I think it's one of the things that we kind of put aside. We kind of forget about. We know he's a savior. We know that he brings peace. We know some other things. He's a healer. Uh, he's a deliverer. Oh, he's a lion of Judah. He's the rose of Sharon. We know that he is so many things. But we need to understand that for our day-to-day life, he's a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. This word counselor comes from a Hebrew word, yawatz, and it simply means this. It means to advise. It means to deliberate. Listen, it means to resolve. He has the answer for you. You're looking for answers? He has it. He has the answer. It means to determine. It means he won't quit until he gets it to you. He's determined. Come on. To devise. You can't think of a way, but he can think of a way. You can't see how it can be done. I don't see how this marriage will ever work where it is now. I don't see how these bills will ever get paid as far as we are in the hole. I don't see how we'll ever come back from where we are. But guess what? God has devised a plan that's fail-proof, foolproof. It means to guide. Not only does he have a plan. See, God doesn't have a plan that says, here, what you need to do, go on, and if you get there, that's good. If not, you know, well, I gave you the plan. That's not what he does, but he guides us every step of the way. That means if you're walking along with God and you get off path a little bit, you can look back up, say, God, and say, oh, it's all right, here, this is what you need to do. Get back over. We were driving last night and... Uh, my, my daughter's been driving, and so we've been taking our life in our hands. It's a wonderful life. Not really. She's, she is an absolute great driver. She, she really is. And uh, so she's got to get some hours in before she can take her driver's test, as a lot of you know. And uh, so we, we, you know, we've been driving together. And um, one of the things we were doing as she was driving, uh, I was telling her that driving, uh, until you really have done it a long time, it's a, it's a weird animal because if you begin to drive and your mind begins to drift, you know, you, you don't know what might happen. You'll drift in the other lanes, you know, you'll, somebody will blow at you. you. You know, if you're not paying attention, you got to pay attention. 
because, uh, at, you know, at the very least, somebody's going to honk at you. At the worst, you could get into an accident and hurt somebody. And so you really have to pay attention at all times. You have to uh, not just focus, folks, but you have to refocus. Come on now, all of us, things come into our mind. If they, if you, come on now, you, they, it comes into your mind, and you're thinking about different things as you're going along. And so we have to constantly refocus. And I was kind of trying to get this to, 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 for her to understand this. And uh, so we'd be driving along, and, and all of a sudden she'd kind of maybe be thinking about things or whatever. She's doing a great job, and they kind of start to drift into the other lane. I say, oh, get back into this lane now. Oh, okay, you know, got to kind of pay attention. Look at the white line down there, you know, and you want to stay in this lane. You have to make easy course adjustments as you go. Well, such is our walk with the Lord. We get to drift, we get to going, and we start drifting, and it, God is a guide to us. He'll say, oh, get back in your lane. It's all right. Easy course adjustment. Just get back in your lane. Sometimes some of us make some knee-jerk reactions. We want to do like this. What happens if you're driving on the freeway and you drift a little bit and you do like this? Come on. You made it worse. (laughs) A lot worse. Well, think about that in life. Sometimes you've gotten so far you do. (laughs) You You need to make a big turn and come on back. Yeah. But there's so many times in life where we're going down and we just need to make some course adjustments. And we need to look to the Lord because he is our guide. And not only is our God, he is our purpose. This is what counsel means. It gives you a purpose. There is a reason for this. There is a reason behind it all. God gives us a purpose. So what does this wonderful counsel look like? Well, number one, Jesus gives us the wonderful counsel of understanding. You know, it's one thing to do something. It's another thing to understand why you do it. We're going to engage, embark, or whatever word you might want to use, in a fast, the first of the year. Now, this fast is one that I am really imploring uh, begging, um, whatever word you want. What's the biblical word, you know? Beseech you, thank you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren and sistren, thank you, Sister Beatrice, I beseech you to take part in this fast. With everything that I have, I beseech you, therefore, brethren and sistren, to take part in this fast. Now, what it's going to be is... So many of you know the Daniel fast, and uh, just let me give you a little uh, maybe preview or, or what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, because I'm, I'm starting now, because I want you to be prepared. I want to spring it on you. In the book of Daniel, many of us know about the 21-day fast, right? There's a 21 days where Daniel had a fast, but there's another fast in there where he said, I won't touch the king's food for 10 days. And they got worried about this. They said, wait a minute now. You're not going to eat at the king's table, so you're going to get all skinny and, you know, uh, you know like a you know, toothpick, and, and the king's not going to like that. We're supposed to be taking care of you. And Daniel said, watch and see. If I don't eat the food that I eat for the next 10 days, you all eat the food that you eat. You know, some of y'all might have a heart attack, fall over. You got to go to the emergency room. But watch and see if I'm not in good shape. Uh, with the food that I eat. So he did that for 10 days, and it turned out he, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in great shape. 
by the time that 10 days was over. So it's not only a spiritual benefit, all right, come on now. Daniel fast helps you uh, physically as well. And so we're going to do a 10-day fast, all right, from the 7th to the 17th, culminating in, a, uh, in communion on that Sunday, okay? So we're going to do that 10-day fast. Now, here's the thing about it. The thing about fasting, and we'll talk about it the first of the year, is that, you know, we, we know it's a biblical mandate. We know it's something that God has in the Bible. People fast for different reasons, and the Bible says to fast. And so those who do fast, uh, or who have ever fasted, uh, just know that the Bible says to fast, and so uh, that's what we should do. But I want you to know this morning that God doesn't want you to fast just because he says so. I want you to understand that. In fact, all of the laws, principles, and rules that God lays out for us, he never wants you to do those just because he says so. Now, if you do it just because he says so, you're doing good. You're doing fine because that means you trust the Lord. But his heart is that you understand why. That you understand that he's not a tyrant saying, do this and do that. He is doing it for your benefit and my benefit. And so when we fast, what happens is it opens up a clearer channel to the Lord, a little clearer communication. And when the church fasts, then vision becomes all the more clear. Purpose becomes a little more clear. The enemy has a harder time bringing in strife and dissension and discord into the church when the church comes together in one as one and is able to fast. But here's the thing also I want you to understand is that as an individual and as a family, when you participate in that, it's not just for the benefit of the church. What happens is the enemy now has a hard time attacking you in your home. And so the discord, the financial problems, the relationship problems, all of that, God can now, he has a straight line to get you all of the information, to get you all of the blessings, to get you what's on his mind, right from his mouth to your ears, from his heart to your heart. So as a church and as a people, as individuals, as families, it behooves us. And we have a great benefit in fasting. And therefore, there is an understanding. It's not just because pastor thinks we ought to fast and it's something to do because other churches around the country fast. They do a Daniel fast, so let's do that. And then we focus on what can we eat, what can't we eat. And there's so much focus on that that God's saying, I don't even understand why you're fasting. I can't speak to you because you're worried about eating beans or potatoes. Come on. Now, I'm saying we have to follow the fast. I'm not saying that. But when our whole focus is only on that and not on God, there's no purpose for it. That means we don't have an understanding. That's why Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He wants to give us understanding. Give us understanding. Deuteronomy 32, 28 says this. It says, for they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. So without counsel, we don't have understanding. You can read the Bible. You can read all kinds of books. You can listen to people preach. But what you end up getting at the end of the day is a bunch of information. 
If the Holy Spirit is not in it, if, if you're not asking Jesus with all you're getting, get understand. If you're not asking him for understanding, all you'll have is a bunch of information and no understanding. Jesus wants to bring to you and I understanding. That's why he's a wonderful counselor. Psalm 119.104, though you're, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. See, you begin to see false ways. You begin to see the ways of the devil. So let me just add this. This isn't part of the notes. This isn't part of it. But when you get understanding, you also get some discernment. You're able to see some things. You're able to see in to what's really going on, what's really on a heart, what really the enemy, what the enemy is really doing in this situation. Is that God or is that the enemy? We need to get some understanding. We can walk in God's ways. God wants us to have understanding. There was a great baroness. She was a writer, a literary, uh, Marie von uh, Eschenbach. And she said something that I thought was very profound. She actually won the Nobel Prize for uh, Literature back in the 1800s. And she died in the early 1900s from Austria. And, and uh, she, she said something I thought was very profound. Some of the young people may not like it, but I think it's, it's very true to a certain extent. She said, in youth we learn, and in age we understand. All, all that means, I'm not saying that you have to be old or older in order to understand. But what I take from that is not so much about age, but it's about time. You see, sometimes it takes time to understand. We don't need to always make a knee-jerk reaction on some things in our life. Sometimes it takes time. You know, you're going through a certain situation in your life. Well, take some time. Take some time and pray. Take some time to fast. See what, what, the, what God would tell you in the situation. Maybe it's not what you thought at all. Take some time for understanding. Well, on top of that, He's a wonderful counselor. He gives us uh, the, the wonderful counsel of understanding. He also gives us a wonderful counsel of wisdom. Because now, again, remember, you get information. And then some of us even get understanding. Some of us get knowledge. But without wisdom, you don't know what to do with all that knowledge. Yeah, I see why this is happening. But now what should I do? How should I move forward? What should I say? Well, this is where the Lord comes in with the counsel of wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the information, what to do with the knowledge. That's wisdom. Deuteronomy 32, 29 says this, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter End. In other words, what he's saying to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy is, listen, not being wise, not having any understanding, you're, you, don't, you don't know what's going to happen at the end. All you're doing is looking at right now. And it seems good right now. But oh, if you were wise, oh, if you had some understanding, you might not make some of the, the decisions that you're making today. You might not say some of the things that you say to other people. You might not react the way that you react. You might not spend your money the way that you spend it. Oh, if you were wise and you had some understanding of what the end might be, God is saying to us, you might do things 
a little differently. God wants to give us that counsel of wisdom. Thinking of a story of two teachers. They were once applying for the same vice principal position at a local high school. One had been teaching for a total of eight years and the other had been teaching for 20 years. Now, Some of you teachers know 20 years is, a, is quite a long time to be in a teaching profession because you're not just making widgets. <laughs> you're dealing with people and not only people you're dealing with children and so everyone expected the teacher that had been in that position for 20 years to get the job naturally that's what I would think but when the decision was made it was a person with eight years that was chosen for the job and so the one that had 20 years came to the hiring manager and said listen I'm more vastly qualified, aren't I? I mean, I've been here 20 years. Well, the school board's reply went like this. Yes, sir. You do have 20 years teaching to her eight. But where she has eight years of experience, you have one year, the same year of experience over and over and over for 20 years. You have 20 times the same experience. Well, this person has grown. It's not so much about age, but it's about time and it's about growing. Listen, our purpose here, our vision and our mission here at the Life Church centers around discipleship. It centers around Ephesians chapter 4 that says we need to go on unto full stature. That means on unto maturity. Another word for that is perfection. It doesn't mean perfect in the way that we think of perfect, but perfection means maturity. To be weos, not technon. Those are two Greek words. Technon means a little child. Weos means a fully grown son or daughter. That's where God wants to get us to. He wants to get us to that fully grown state. And we can't do that by having the same year over and over. At some point, we have to grow. That's where wisdom comes in. If you don't have understanding, you don't have wisdom. And if you don't have wisdom, you'll never grow. God wants us to grow. Number three is the wonderful counsel of assurance. Uh, I don't know. I, I know some of you may know uh, this song, but we used to sing a song called Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. <laughs> oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Come on. God, air of salvation. Keep it going. Air of salvation. Come on. Y'all know it. Purchased by God. That's right. God gives us a blessed assurance. How many know that it is a wonderful thing to be assured? That's why we ask the question two and three times sometimes. Hey, are, are you going to come over? Are you going to come over and pick me up? Yeah, I'll be there. Are you sure you're going to be there? Yes, I will be there. Okay, now, because if I'm late, I really need you to be. Are you sure? I will absolutely be there. I need an assurance. <laughs> okay, come on. God gives us a blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Not only of our salvation, his blessed assurance is for the covenant that he has with us. His blessed assurance to us 
is of a wonderful life. He said it. Now, I know people will say, well, God never said that you wouldn't have trials and tribulations. That is true. That's true. But guess what? That's part of a wonderful life. Overcoming is a great part of a wonderful life. And that's what he wants us to do. The trials and tribulations are not just there to have trials and tribulations so that we can say, boy, I had some trials. I'm checking that off. I went through some trials. No, there's a point to it. Oh, that you would be wise. Oh, that you would have some understanding that the roadblocks in your way are so that you can get over them and that you can grow and go up another step. You can't go up if there's no roadblocks there, no stepping stones. Nothing to get over. The overcomer will sit with the Lord at the end times. He, he gives us an assurance. First Thessalonians 1.5 says this, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. I ain't lying. He's given you full assurance, full assurance. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. You know it. Not only did he tell you, but he lived it. Jesus came to earth and he lived it. This is Paul and some other uh, apostles, disciples telling them, you saw it by the way we lived. Well, Jesus is saying, you saw it by the way I lived. I lived my life on earth. There is an assurance and it's not just... From my mouth, I proved it on the cross. And not only on the cross, but the way I lived every day. I didn't come to be served, Jesus says. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Living Bible says it this way, for when we brought you the good news, it was not just meaningless chatter to you. No, you listened with great interest. What we told you produced a powerful effect upon you. For the Holy Spirit gave you great and full assurance that what he said was true. And here's what Jesus said. I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he said, I'm able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. He said, I will make you the head and not the tail. I will make you to be above and never again beneath. These are the things that he said. And he gave us an assurance that what he said is true. And then so we say, like David in Psalm 13 too, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long? How, this is what we need to ask ourselves. He said in Psalms 5, 10, Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgression. Here's the thing. How long, saints... Are you going to rest in your own counsel? How long are you going to counsel your own self with your limited knowledge, your limited wisdom, your limited understanding, and take that as gospel? How long? When will you come to the Lord and say, I don't know how to do this thing? You tell me. You tell me, Lord. Whatever you say, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's in giving Attitude, marriage, relationship, church, work, 
whatever it may be, Lord. I'm tired of my own counsel. I need some wonderful counsel of the Lord. Because lastly, the wonderful counsel of God establishes you. It establishes you. You can't establish yourself. He establishes you. Proverbs 16, verse 1 says, The preparations of the heart belong to man. Mm -hmm. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Come on. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your ways to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. In another version, he said it like this. He said, I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you. Giving you peace. I don't leave you with what you're used to. But I leave you with my great counsel. Because your own counsel belongs to you. Your own preparation belongs to you. But the true answer, the correct answer, the discerning answer, the establishing answer belongs to the Lord. When will we turn to the Lord? When will we notice that Christmas is a little bit more than going out to the mall and hearing jingle bells? (laughs) Or putting a little something in the Salvation Army bucket, doing my good deed. Yep, did that. Got some Salvation Army. Got a gift for so-and-so. And even gave a little money to the other thing. So I checked my things off for Christmas. God doesn't want your checklist. He wants your heart. That's why he came. That's why he came. I'll leave you with this story. Thinking about this story, it's about a woman who had a precious stone. Now, this wise woman was traveling in the mountains. She found a precious stone in a stream. The next day, very next day after she found this precious stone, she ran into someone. She met another traveler who was hungry. And the wise woman opened up her bag to share her food. Well, the traveler looked in the bag. How many know when somebody gets a text, sometimes y'all, oh, okay. He looked in the bag, maybe not on purpose, just out of habit, and he happened to see the precious stone. And in his boldness, he asked the woman, well, can I have the stone? She said, sure. So she did it without hesitation. She gave that traveler the precious stone that she had just found. She just received it. She hadn't even fully celebrated what she had found. So the traveler left rejoicing in his good fortune. He knew the stone was worth more than enough to give him security for a lifetime. A few days later, though, he returned back, and then he returned the stone to the wise woman. She said, well, why did you bring the stone back? He said, well, the last couple of days I've been thinking. He said, I know how valuable 
this stone is. But I give it back in the hope that you can give me something even more precious. Give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me the stone in the first place. This is the key. This is what God is trying to get in our hearts. It's not about the gifts. It's not about our checklists. But it's about the heart. Because if you have that ingredient, what that woman had in her to give her most prized possession, one that she had just found and one that she probably would never, ever see again, She gave it away without hesitation. If you have that spirit, then you have everything. Because Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Added unto you. Added. That means he's not taking things away. I'm not going to take something from you to give you something else. If you seek me first, God is saying, all of these things, all of them will be added unto you, one on top of the other.